Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Are we live, Lauren? We are live, Dr. Cohen. We are live with Gross Anatomy Podcasts, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning books, movies, TV, and the world around us. And I'm Lauren Taylor. <laughs> and I'm Lauren Taylor. Joined and I'm with, Lauren Taylor. Joined with Dr. Jason Cohen. Cohen, Cohen, Cohen. <laughs> no, it's funny. We do, we do what's called a timeout in the operating room. Actually, we were just discussing it with our pre-med students today about the Oh, and we discussed it on our Dr. Death uh, TV episode. That's right. We talked about the timeout. Yeah. And, and sometimes, depending on my mood... I'm, I, I try to make it engaging for everybody to kind of, because it's important. We do the timeout just like pilots do their checklist before the flight. And it's kind of a routine thing to make sure we don't accidentally cut the wrong side off or operate on the wrong side and this and that. So I, I sometimes will try to make it more fun and engaging. So I'll sometimes be like, just like I said, Dr. Jason Cohen, Cohen, Cohen. I'll sometimes do stuff like that to be a little fun and silly, but really the timeout is a serious time too, where we we really just focus on exactly what we're going to be doing. But I think when you get the staff engaged, they're more they buy in more to make sure you take care of the patients. So I, I I try to keep it light, but at the same time get everyone on board and make sure we're light but serious. So I don't know. I just thought about the timeout there. Okay, so even though we already did like a little bit about Halloween and this is going to air after Halloween, it's going to air like a few days after Day of the Dead. We still want to do a little dark episode about serial killers, MD. So doctors who are serial killers. Because yes. we discovered that there are some. And uh, there's actually a list of the top five that John Murphy put together. He wrote an article on MD links. So I'm going to be referencing some of um, his famous serial killers. Doctors who are serial killers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were in the 80s and 90s. And I hadn't heard of any of them, but maybe you have. Maybe I'm going to refresh your memory. Okay. I, I don't, I personally don't know any doctors who are serial killers. But can you think of any off like the top of your head? Like, can you name any? No, except for I don't consider him a serial killer. Uh, I consider him a hero, I think, but Kevorkian. Yeah. In assisted suicide, some people might call him a serial killer to some degree. But right. And we agree on that one that I don't think he's a serial killer either. So in this article, he says, Do doctors make the best serial killers? Maybe so. Doctors have expert knowledge of the fertilities of the human body. They have access to any number of deadly instruments and poisonous medicines. But he he did uh he did say that most doctors obviously do not become serial killers. That just pertains to these five. I'm not totally sure, but I think most doctors don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that does go without saying. Right. But, um, okay. So this guy, I don't know if you've heard of him. It's Michael S-W-A-N-G-O. Swango? I do not know Swango. All right. He graduated summa cum laude from college in 1979, and he would go on to fatally poisoned as many as 60 patients and colleagues between 1981 and 1997. Wow. Um, he did his colleagues surgery. too. Yeah. He did a surgical internship at Ohio state university medical center. And then some nurses were taking note that patients kept dying suddenly and they investigated, but um, he was cleared of any culpability. So and that was in 1984. So they could have caught him then, but they didn't. 
And then after his internship ended, he ended up becoming EMT and he poisoned his colleagues with arsenic. And that he was proven guilty of and he spent five years in prison. But from there, somehow he got a job at the VA hospital in New York State. Wait, where, he killed someone by giving them arsenic? No, no. He, his, these, he poisoned his EMT colleagues after um, his internship ended. He went on to become an EMT and he spiked their coffees with arsenic. And that he was proven guilty of. And he spent five years in prison for that. But I guess they didn't die. I don't know how easy it is to get arsenic. Yeah. So maybe that's why they, he was able to be proven so easily. Interesting. So, so that of, I mean, of an interesting note, I'm going to, I'm going to cut. Yeah, you no, I think I could be wrong. Apples don't apple seeds have a certain amount of arsenic in them. Am I making that up? I don't know. And then what was the, there's a movie with Michelle Pfeiffer where you could just like get a plant and like poison someone like easily kill them too. Was it called, was it an organ? No. Well, there's a lot of toxic stuff in a lot of plants, but what does apple seeds have? Yep. It has arsenic in it. Apple seeds, not a lot, but I guess if you have enough apple seeds, you could probably poison someone. It's a lot I don't know, of yeah, because like even if you're a doctor, it's not like you have access to arsenic. Why would you no, guys have that? I, I don't there's there's no reason as a doctor to have to have oh no cyanide. I think cyanide is in yeah, cyanide. Is that the same as arsenic? I don't know. I've never tried to poison anyone. Yeah, so apple seeds have cyanide in them. So theoretically, if you get a lot of apple seeds you could you could get cyanide and poison someone but that's a lot of apple seeds yeah I, it doesn't say how he got it but yeah he was in prison for five years after that and then he like he uh, kind of forged some documents and he ended up working at a va hospital where patients mysteriously were dying and then they found out that you know he lied and he was in prison so he shouldn't have been at the va hospital so they fired him but that finally put him on the fbi radar and uh, but he fled to Zimbabwe, where he again he got to be a doctor in a medical like mission type place where patients mysteriously died. In Zimbabwe. Yeah. Wow. I know. So it's really sad. And then, um, but the FBI arrested them in like the airport, and then they exhumed some of those bottle bodies in Zimbabwe, and um, they proved that he poisoned them. Was he? Did he claim to be doing like mercy killing, or he was just killing for the sake of killing? No, he was killing for the sake of killing. He it said, wasn't that he thought someone was terminal and let me put them out of their misery kind of thing? No, this wasn't any of that. Um, so he pled guilty to the crimes. And in on the trial, they used one of his notebooks where um, apparently he described the joys of the crimes. So he Wow, that, that's yeah. crazy. And he's actually still alive. I think he's the only one on this list. Yeah, this list that's still alive. He's 67. I wonder what his med school interview was like. I know. Can you imagine? And I wonder what the person who accepted him, who interviewed him, feels and thinks. I wonder if, if, they, if they went back and talked to that person and said, hey, were you able in hindsight to sense something was off with this person? Yeah. I mean, it's a, so at Ohio State University Medical Center, that's where he did his internship. But then I guess, you know, he never finished. I don't know. Yeah. He was a doctor, but I guess he never went on. Amazing. Yeah. Have you heard of this guy, Harold Shipman? He's actually What's his last name? Shipman. What's his last name? S H I P M A N. Shipman. Mm -hmm. 
I thought you were saying something else. Nope. He's Britain's most prolific serial killer, which I was surprised I haven't heard of him or they haven't made a movie about him. Do not know of him. He apparently estimated uh, murdered 250 people. He was a a general practitioner in England who was well-liked by his patients between 1975 and 1998. Um, But he is known to have murdered 215 of his patients. Most were older women. So he also had like a painkiller addiction, I guess. And he would just make friends with his patients, have them put them in his will, steal their jewelry, and um, then shoot them up with heroin. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. I don't know how he got to that number without anyone. That's That's not clear to me. Well, it's England. (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't. I don't either. Yeah. One thing that's amazing that that you said is he would get people to put them in his will. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And Hmm. sign over their estates and all that stuff. And then somehow he's finally found guilty. I don't know that part, but he received multiple life sentences for his heinous crimes. And uh, but he's not alive because he hung himself in prison in 2004. Hmm. I don't blame him, I guess. Yeah, but Dr. Harold Shipman. I'm I would be surprised if there's not at least a TV movie about this psychopath. I'm sure. Or yeah. or um uh yeah, that's that's just bizarre. So what is the rule like if you have a patient that really likes you and they want to put you in their will, is that violate anything at all? Let let me just tell everyone that if you want to put me in <laughs> will, by all means, I'm more I, I know it's a sacrifice. I'm willing. I'm willing to accept it, but if you want to put me in your will, it's okay. I'll 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 say it's okay. I I know right. it'll be hard, but I'll say it's okay. So I I don't think there's. I know for a private practitioner, there's definitely no problem doing that. You just have to make sure there's no weird conflict of interest that it comes out that you were the cause of their demise and and da da da. So you really just better make sure that that you didn't murder them. That you're not uh, shooting them up with heroin. Right. Or botching their surgery or whatever it is deliberately. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for, a, for a doctor on staff at a certain institution, there might be some kind of conflict of interest. You definitely would have to report it. And that hospital could decide that it's not okay. They, they may not allow that. Um, theoretically, do you have to report it to them? You probably do. but. I, I don't know. I don't know what would happen if if you didn't. I'm not sure. Right. There, there are definitely a lot of doctors who are very good at befriending their patients and and getting stuff from patients. And, and the truth is, I've become friends with a lot of patients for whatever reason. It tends to be the other way around, where they get stuff from me because I'm their doctor friend who tends to help them, you know, work the system sometimes a little bit and and help them if they, you know, need a prescription or need to get into a doctor, other, you know, another specialty other than mine. But I, and I think that's why a lot of times, sometimes people love having doctors as friends is kind of, they feel like they have a concierge doctor as their friend. Uh, But there's some docs who are really amazing at getting stuff from patients. I've, I've gotten some benefits from certain patients that I've become friends with, but I envy those who have like fly on jets and, and go down to mega vacations and all that kind of thing. That that's an art form. And then there are some doctors, you know, we have a research foundation where we do research and 
the funding for that research we have to come up with, and it's always a challenge. And we've been major failures, my partners and I, in trying to get grateful patients to donate even a few hundred dollars here and there. We've been very bad at, at getting grateful patients to donate. And that's a whole other skill that amazes me. There's some doctors who just know how to, you know, who have research interests and research foundations or grants or this and that, who are able to get from their wealth, well-to-do patients or even non-well-to-do patients donations for research. And, and that's a whole skill that I wish I had. I don't have it. Right. And it's, it's time consuming too. So you probably just need someone like devoted to that is the thing. Yeah. We actually even have someone now trying to help us with it. And, and that person is uh, surprisingly disappointed and, and that we haven't, even with her help, we, we've still been failing. And, and I don't know, I don't know what the problem is. I, I, who knows? Yeah. And then some people can get like a whole wing donated. <laughs> right. Or like some endowed chair, you know, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. Well, I wish you guys luck in that aspect. Thank you. Um, so this other person on this list is more, is more possibly a Dr. Kevorkian. His uh, Dr. John Bodkin Adams, he, um, he may have been the role model for Dr. Harold Shipman's killing spree, but between 1946 and 1956, more than 160 of his patients died suspiciously, 132 of whom had put Dr. Adams in their wills before passing away. Wow. But he was never convicted. He was brought to trial for one murder and never convicted. Um, he died of natural causes in 1983. But yeah, they brought they brought offenses against him, but none of them really ever seemed to stick. But um, I guess it could be debated that he was trying to euthanize them and they just put them in his will. That's, I guess it's debatable because he was never found guilty. Wow. Amazing. But he's on this list of serial killers. Hmm. And then another, there is one woman on the list. She was apparently trained as an osteopathic nurse, but through a loophole, which I still don't understand in Washington, it allowed her to obtain a license to practice medicine. So somehow she was a medical doctor, even though she Hmm. never went to school for it. But she wrote a book in 1908 called Fasting for the Cure of Disease. And so she started a sanitarium in which she would starve patients. Sounds like they died really horrible, horrible deaths. Um, one woman died at like. You sure she wasn't doing. Um, you sure she wasn't doing uh, intermittent fasting? Well, it that says. Was a that, joke. Yeah, she thought that. I guess the cure to disease. Obviously, she wasn't a trained doctor. I mean, that's the really dumb thinking. You could just starve people and cure them of diseases. So she'd give them just broth or spoonfuls of things. And a woman she was tried for, a really wealthy woman, um, ended up weighing 50 pounds when she died, which wow. is just disgusting and terrible. Um, she was brought to trial and found guilty. So I don't know her either. No. I think uh, I don't want to watch that movie. It just sounds too terrible. Anything with the word sanitarium in it is um, always going to be a downer. Well, it sounds like uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. Yeah, it does a little bit. I can see that. All right. And this last one, I should have known, but I didn't recognize right away. Do you know the name H.H. Holmes? Should I? Well, they wrote a book about him. It's called The Devil in the White City, a saga of magic and murder at the fair that changed America. You haven't heard? I've heard heard of The Devil in the White City, but I never read it. And I wish I did now. But um, apparently 
Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio are making a Hulu series based on this book. Oh, wow. They said that in 2019, and I can't find any more information about it. So it must have been stalled during the pandemic, and hopefully it's still they're still working on it. Because this doctor, he sounds pure evil. He is quoted as saying, I was born with the devil in me, and I could not help the fact that I was a murderer no more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. So he took a lot of joy in killing and he um, in Chicago built a murder castle where he would like lure women and he was convicted of killing 27 women there. Um, so that's nothing compared to the other. <laughs> yeah. People. yeah. And he was a doctor. So he's one of the most famous, I'd say, serial killer doctors that I didn't know by name. But I, I mean, I would definitely watch that series. I mean, I'd watch anything Leonardo DiCaprio produced probably anyways. Yeah. Um, an interesting thing, you said how someone could, as a loophole, become a doctor. You made me think of Vivian Thomas, who was a famous, uh, eventually became a doctor and surgeon, but the only schooling he finished was high school. He didn't even go to college. He was the assistant to a very famous surgeon, Alfred Blaylock, who was a famous, innovative cardiac surgeon. And this, this man, Vivian Thomas, was his assistant. So he would help him on all the surgeries. And he became an expert at the procedures and the surgeries. And the famous surgery that, that Blaylock got known for initially was the whole blue baby. They did a movie with uh, Alan Rickman uh, as the lead. And I forgot who played Vivian Thomas, who's a, who's a black man, who was this amazing mind and amazing technician and basically assisted him on all the surgeries. And thanks to Vivian Thomas, all the surgeries went well, which is a pretty amazing. And eventually in 1976, Johns Hopkins made him an honorary doctor and uh, instructor in surgery, which is a pretty cool, amazing story. And, wow. and it was a good movie. The movie is called Something the Lord Made. Oh, and the actor who played him was Moss Def. Oh, really? I really like him. It's a good, it's a really interesting movie and it's all true. You know, it's a historical movie and I, and I definitely recommend it. I, I saw it. I thought it was, it was really, really good. Okay. All right. Yeah. I have to, I'll have to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we should, it should be a whole, a whole episode. We should talk about that movie, something the Lord made, I think. Okay. Yeah. That's a good wreck. So yeah, that's all I have about the serial killers. I'm sure if the Hulu series from Scorsese and DiCaprio ever comes out. We will watch that and talk about that too. Devil in the White City. Devil in the White City. Sounds good. Yeah. And it all the serial killer talk really made me want a Mindhunter season three. Did you ever watch that on Netflix? I never did watch Mindhunter. So good. But um, David Fincher just doesn't seem interested in doing a season three. When you were talking about serial killer doctors, it, it brought two, two thoughts to my mind. One is... The book and then movie Coma. Do you know that? I feel like we talked about it, but refresh my memory. We did. I, and I think it was by Robin Cook, who he himself was. Oh, not. yes, yes, yes. But I, I you know, I, I must confess, I didn't read the book and I only saw parts of the movie because I don't like scary movies. And it was kind of billed as a scary movie. But I, I think they would deliberately, I, I'm, I don't even actually know that the premise was is they would, I think, deliberately put these patients into comas to harvest their organs but I, I i'd have to look it up i'm embarrassed that i don't know and i'm mentioning it uh, oh it's michael crichton it's michael crichton it sounds is, like uh, michael crichton yeah it's michael crichton so not robin cook why did i think it was 
Oh, no. The novel was Robin Cook, but it was directed by Michael Crichton. Ah. Yeah, the book was Robin Cook. And Michael Douglas is the is the uh, actor, uh, is one of the actors in it. But Robin Cook was a doctor, as was Crichton. Wasn't Crichton also? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, he never practiced, but he's a brilliant man. And smaller roles in the movie, Tom Selleck and Ed Harris. Ooh, I love Ed Harris. Yeah. Um, So it just made me think of that book. But the only other thought is it, it gave me is, if I wanted to kill someone, how would I do it? I don't know. I don't know. My wife and I sometimes will joke around uh, if we wanted to murder each other, how would we murder each other? That's a joke we sometimes have with each other. (laughs) Scheming, you know, no. Yeah. Well, you don't have that kind of a doctor serial killer mind. No, but you know, the stereotypical thing is just injecting potassium or an air bubble into someone's IV, you know, big enough air bubble, I think, you know, enough air into someone's intravenous. It's crazy that you said that. I swear, I just read that someone was convicted of doing that. Probably. That's Probably. so, yeah. And I had never heard of that before, but yeah. It's a dreaded complication of procedures is an air embolism, meaning air into the bloodstream uh, that, that could potentially kill someone. Yeah, I, I promise. I think they just convicted someone of doing that. That's crazy. That's so scary. It is. It's nuts. Well, that's all I got for today, Dr. Cullen. So that's it on Gross Anatomy, eh, Lauren? That's it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. We've we've had a lot of uh, people reaching out to us lately, wanting to be guests, which has been exciting, and hearing from different other people just commenting, which has kind of been very exciting to us. So hopefully we'll have some fun guests coming up. Okay. Cool. Cool. Bye. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.